Thank you so much, Pastor Jerry, Randy, Miss Patricia, Mr. Little, all of the volunteers that helped to give us a little bit of normalcy in this season. That, that just kicks off the, the Christmas season right. Can you say amen? Fantastic. We want to make you aware of uh, lots of opportunities. This is, this is just the beginning, y'all. So make sure you mark on your calendars next Sunday and then... Um, The following weekend will be three special services, our Christmas carol experience, December 17th, 18th, and 19th. You do have to get a ticket, but they're free, and they are going to go quickly. I'm looking out over this uh, crowd here right now, and just with our online fam, our online fam is probably gobbling up right now, so you need to hop on to Christmas at Multiply Church, Christmas at MultiplyChurch.com. Reserve your spot for you, and the most important thing, bring somebody. Bring somebody that needs hope, that needs the message of Jesus. And then our outdoor outdoor candlelight uh, Christmas Eve celebration is going to be fantastic. But we can't wait to see you over the course of the, the next several weeks. If you take out your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22. I know that's a strange text for a Christmas sermon. But it's 2020, so uh, we're just going to go with something a little bit different. I think you'll see how, how it all ties in. And I, I, I can't wait to preach this message with, on our, our family and, and next-gen emphasis service with some of our Multiply youth students who are going to be blessed by them. Some of you will have to remember a bit further back. For some of you, this hasn't uh, uh, occurred yet in your life, and maybe you'll have to, to just think into the future. But for those of you that have had a child, do you remember bringing that baby home from the hospital that first day? You, you remember that? You remember what the weather was like? You remember what you were driving? Do you remember all, all of those different things, all of those mixed emotions of this is amazing and I'm scared, I'm in charge, you're firstborn, like this is your responsibility, this human is, uh, uh, it's like in the, in the wither up tribe, not the wither up household, the wither up tribe, so the, the tribe, my, my Spartan tribe, it's baby season, and then Camden and I um, help lead a young couple's tribe, I'm not saying I'm young, but the, the tribe we lead is, and, and on Thursday nights at our house, it's full on ki- children's church. Like it's full on. Out of, the, out of the seven couples we have, including our two, there are 18 kids. 18 kids. Like three new babies on the scene. Like we've got more on the, more on the way. Like all just, we were texting one of our tribe members uh, two days ago. She just had their, their firstborn. And so like you walk around Multiply Church and just all of this, all of this life. And, and, and here's what, here's what I um, think of. There's something about, a new baby that brings new hope. There's something about a new baby that brings new hope. And, and, and I see this all through Scripture. I see this all through Scripture that every, every time it seemed like hope was lost, a baby was born. When it seemed like Adam and Eve's sin had ruined everything, Abel was born. When it seemed like the ugliness of murder had come onto the scene, Seth was born. 
When the morality of the world fell beyond disrepair, Noah was born. When God's people suffered in brutal opposition and slavery for 400 years, Moses was born. When it seemed like all of culture was bowing down to idolatry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was born. When it looked like God's people would be destroyed by a wicked plot from an insider politician, Esther was born. When it seemed like the leadership was corrupt and had lost the anointing of God, David was born. When it looked like there was no common sense and wisdom, Solomon was born. And when it looked like all hope was lost, like God had gone silent, like the world was drifting into further apathy, a virgin was with child. Bethlehem got put on the map and angelic host appeared the king of kings and the lord of lords stepped down from heaven the alpha and omega first and last was born aren't you thankful come on is somebody thankful that jesus was born Somebody needs to know today that hope is one generation away. Somebody needs to know today that revival is always one generation away. In Isaiah, the prophet gave us this declaration, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The good Dr. Luke records the fulfillment of that prophecy in Luke 2, 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. As we walk through Christmas 2020 and as we look out across our world, as we see the condition of morality, as we see things seemingly slipping away, you know, it didn't compare anything, anything to the condition of the world thousands of years ago when Josiah stepped on the scene. I don't know if you remember the story, but Amon was his father, Manasseh was his grandfather, and the Bible says that there was no king more wicked than these guys. And it wasn't just in the surrounding nations. The Bible said that the people of God had actually become more wicked than the people around them. And it was into these conditions that 2 Kings 22 1 says, And Josiah, and Josiah, and Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. See, in times of moral wickedness, there's something. God always has a, has a generation. God always has a generation. God always has people in the next generation that he's even now raising up. Thousands of years ago, God used a young student to bring an entire nation back to God. What if, what if that could happen again? What if this generation is the Josiah generation? How many of you are thankful this morning just to be able to come to a church, to a place to get away from the stresses of the world as a community, something bigger than ourselves, just worship and glorify God in his name. I know I'm thankful very much for the church. This morning we're going to be looking at 2 Kings 22, 3 through 6. And it says, In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah and grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. He told him, Go to Hilkiah the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. Entrust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of it. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple, 
They will need to hire carpenters, builders, masons. Also have them buy the timber and the finished stone needed to repair the temple. So a little bit of a backstory as Pastor Doug was talking about. Josiah's father, Amon, was a very, very wicked and evil man. And the Bible said he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Whenever he became king, he started putting pagan idols up and things that represented really evil spirits in the Lord's temple. So whenever he died and his son, Josiah, became king, after a couple years, Josiah decided to look around his kingdom and he found the Lord's temple corrupted with all of these pagan idols and all of this evil in it. And he was not having it because this was the Lord's temple. So he decided to get all of his people together and to restore it. Isaiah 61.4 says they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. And they weren't just trying to build back the temple. They were trying to build back the church. The church isn't just a building or an altar where people come to experience God. The church is the people, not this building. So they were trying to build back the crowds that had scattered after Amon had put up all of these idols It took many people to build back the temple. In these verses alone, it said they needed carpenters, builders, masons, supervisors, so many people with skills and talents to restore the temple, people who were willing and who were dedicated. 1 Corinthians 12.12 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, however, the community, it's getting smaller and smaller. According to a faith statistic website, Barna.com, in 2009, 48% of the U.S. population attended church. In 2019, it had declined to 29% that attended. In 10 years, regular church attendance in the United States had declined almost 20%. This is not taking into account the effect the global pandemic has had on these numbers this year. People are leaving the church. They're leaving because of corrupt leadership. Preachers are preaching false ideas and twisting the Bible. They're leaving because it's not convenient anymore. They're leaving because it's not a priority. And they're filling their times with other things. And people are leaving because they don't feel connected to the church. They aren't welcomed into the church. Last year at youth convention, I attended with some of my friends in the church, and the first service, we got together with our church, and we started praying for people who had specific needs at the time, people who were really hurting with family members and were really struggling. So I started praying for all my friends who had the specific needs, and then when everybody was prayed for, I turned around and I started walking back to my seat because I didn't have a specific need at the time, but as I was walking back, One of my very good friends took my arm and she pulled me back into the center of that group and she told me that she was going to pray for me. And then all of the church laid their hands on me and they started praying. And it was in that moment that I realized that no matter what you're going through, especially when your life is falling apart, you need the church. But even when your life is going perfectly fine and everything seems great, you still need the church. You see... If I would have walked away back to my seat and she hadn't pulled me back into the middle, then I would have missed out on that experience with God. We need the church to help pull us back so we can experience God on a deeper level. There's a quote by a man named Thabiti Inyabwile that says, We desperately need the church for love, for maturity, 
for, and preparedness, for spiritual care. It is arrogant, rebellious, self-reliant, God-indicting pride to conclude that the church is an option extra to the Christian life. Over the last 30 years, people have made going to church optional, not a priority. But we need to change that. There's a quote by Dwight L. Moody that says, Church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. Hebrews 10.25 says this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning, talking about Christ's return. Matthew 18.20 says, forever two or more come together in honor of my name. I am right there with you. When we come together, God is right there with us. We need to be a church, we need to be a generation willing to go out and pull people back to church. Jesus doesn't want us to just be believers, but participants in drawing people back to him. It's not going to happen overnight, so we need to start now. We need to speak truth that they can apply to their life, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday too. We need to show them that the church adds value to their life and that the talents that God gave them adds value to the church. We need to help them get plugged in and involved in tribes where they can build relationships and get connected to the church and to God. We need to lead this generation to make church a priority, not something extra that they may have time for. We will lead a generation that rebuilds and restores the foundation of the temple. We will lead a generation that comes back to the house of God, and we will lead a generation that comes back to the word of God. So how many of us today have ever felt distant from God? It doesn't have to be right now in the time of your life, but ever in your life felt distant from the Lord? Just me? No? All right. Um, so what happens when we get distant from God? A lot of things happen. For one, the way you talk, your mentality, your perspective on life, your priorities change. Knowing that, I want to share a little story from about two to three months ago. Uh, two to three months ago, I was called back to work, and I hadn't seen these people in six, seven months since quarantine, and when I came back, I didn't recognize anyone. Any, everyone changed. Everybody um, grew their hair out. Some people grew in other ways. Um, and immediately when I stepped foot in this building, I walked in, and I was approached by someone. And it seemed like they knew me, but I had no clue who this person was. And when she came out to me, she said, hey, what's up? How you doing, Christian boy? And I was like, what's up? I mean, how do you respond to that, you know? And when somebody calls you Christian boy, it's not always in a good way, you know? Immediately, guys, so many things went through my head. I began to feel fear. Um, I was scared that somebody was going to hear her and they were going to know that I was Christian. I was scared that my re reputation that I had built there was going to change. Um, I was scared that relationships were going to change, that the person that was talking to me was going to view me differently. When I was remembering this story, God really convicted me and he clearly told me I was scared of being associated with him. 
And guys, that's scary. Guys, when I, when I heard this from God, I immediately was scared again, you know. Um, that's powerful, you know. And the same way God convicted me, God convicted Josiah in 2 Kings twenty-two thirteen, And it says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. The word of God is important. We can agree on that, right? The word of God is very important. And it's crazy to me because scripture talks about scripture. And that's insane to me. And we can see that everywhere in scripture, actually. We can go to Joshua 1.8. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We see it again in 2 Timothy 3.16.17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we see it again in Matthew 4.4. 4. Hebrews answered, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Again, John 15, 2, Psalm 119.10, Psalm 1, 2. Guys, if Scripture is talking about Scripture this much, shouldn't we think it's a little important and we should pay attention to it? Right? The list can go on and on. And if you don't believe me, look for it yourself. Dive into the Word of God. The Word of God will provide so many things for your life. And if you let it, it will build your life. If you want to take this step to really dive in head first, guys, I want to challenge you to really ask God to search your heart, to tell you what sacrifices you need to take so that that may be possible, so that you may be closer to God. Because, guys, our generation will be a generation that comes back to the word of God. I want to say that again. Our generation will be a generation that comes back to the word of God. And let me tell you, there's no age limit to this. Josiah was eight years old. Doesn't matter how old you were. There's no age limit to how far you can go into God's word. And when we come back to the word of God, guys, our generation will see revival. God is definitely in the business of using some unlikely people. As we read through scripture, we see God has had a history of using the most random people you can imagine to proclaim his name. In 2 Kings, we see Josiah. He was made a king at just eight years old. And I don't know about y'all, but when I was eight, I most definitely was not fit to rule an entire kingdom. 2 Kings 23, verse 3 says, The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant of the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. We will lead a generation of revival. But before we can even talk about leading a generation of revival, we have to understand what revival actually is. 
In its purest form, revival is just taking something that is dead and bringing it back to life. Even the fact that we can sit here in this room together is a direct result of God using the unlikely for a revival. William J. Seymour was a one-eyed, illiterate black man that led a massive revival in the early 1900s. William lived in a time when he was not accepted by many people. He was treated with hatred and a massive amount of disrespect, and yet God chose him to lead a revival. William J. Seymour is the founder of the Pentecostal church. During this time of disrespect and hatred, God looked at him and chose him to lead one of the biggest revivals. Just as Seymour did, it is our job to lead a revival. However, by definition, revival is technically impossible. Bringing something that is dead back to life cannot be done without God. Both Josiah and William J. Seymour had to trust in God during their revival moments. And what do we see Josiah doing after he decided to trust in God? He ran around towns tearing down false idols, and we have to do the exact same thing. Now, idols do look a little bit different now, but it's anything that you put over God. Whether it be your pride, celebrity worship, our desires, even our money, a revival cannot happen when we put our personal desires over the desires of God. So how can we make sure that we put God's desires first? We have to, have to, have to pursue holiness. Just as Alan mentioned earlier, we have to read and follow the word of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We have to read our Bible, guys. It is such an easy thing to do, and I feel like sometimes we kind of take advantage of that, but it's something that's so important. As Annalise mentioned earlier, we have to have a relationship with God in our community. William J. Seymour was able to have such a massive revival because people were able to tell other people about Jesus. We're a pretty large church, and so together we can come together and go out of our way to tell other people about the name of Jesus. Everyone has someone that doesn't know Jesus. Everyone knows someone that doesn't know Jesus. So what if we went out of our way to tell other people about him? We have to die to ourselves. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to pick up our cross. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Guys, Jesus is literally saying in that moment, tear stuff down. Put your money down. Put your desires down and grab what he wants you to grasp. We must focus on the purity of our hearts. Part of leading massive revivals is just having a pure heart. When we're distracted by the impure things of this world, it is so hard to lead revivals. William J. Seymour was constantly surrounded by hatred and disrespect, but he set that down. He did not let that infiltrate his heart. Instead, he focused on what God wanted him to focus on, and he was able to lead such a massive revival. We have to make our choices based on what God wants us to. Josiah did all things in the way of the Lord. He was eight whenever he became king. And when you're eight, you get distracted really easily. But he wasn't. He focused on the Lord. We cannot make our choices based on what the world says. Making your choices based on what the world says is so easy nowadays, based on what your phone says. But no, you have to turn to the way of the Lord. Revival can only happen when we start tearing down our idols. 
The same spirit of revival that led Josiah to lead a nation at just eight years old, and the same exact spirit that inspired William J. Seymour to lead a, a revolution during one of the hardest times in America is the same exact spirit that lives in us and empowers us and encourages us to lead a generation of revival. So if God can use an eight-year-old king and a one-eyed, illiterate black man in the early 1900s, then why can't he use us to lead such massive revivals as well? If you've got somebody that's 18 or under, I want you to kind of pull them, pull them close to you. Online fam, would you get your, get your kids in the living room with you? I want you to pull them close. I want to, I want to name you. I want to name this generation. I name you, I name you the Josiah generation. That these are not just points on a screen on a random Sunday that this this is who you are that you will lead a generation back to the house of God and I repent before God and I apologize to you that you have seen your parents and your grandparents treat the house of God as an optional add-on I'm sorry that you have watched generations treat Sunday like any other day and I call you to rise up and change it I call you to rise up on Sunday and say, Dad, why aren't we going to church today? Mama, don't we love Jesus anymore? I call you, Josiah generation, to put God first, whether it's online or whether it's in the house of God, that no longer will we put our desires before him, that no longer will we treat God as an optional add-on and then pull him out like a genie in a bottle. When we need him, we will put the Lord first. We will be a Josiah generation that comes back to the house of God I name you Josiah generation to lead us back to the word of God and I apologize to you and I repent before the Lord for showing you for showing you people that have put their emotions before the word for people that have put that that have put convenience before the word of God for people that have put popular opinion to the word of God. And I call you, Josiah generation, to lead us back to the word, to stand on the word when it's popular and not popular, to stand on the word for everything that it says about humanity, about sexuality, about every area of our life. Would you draw us back to the word of God? And Josiah generation, I call you to lead us back to the holiness of God. And I repent before God and apologize to you that you have seen a church live in compromise, that you have seen the people of God that look like the world, that sit, that talk like the world, that watch the things like the world. And I call you to lead us back to holiness once again. I call you to lead us back into the presence of God. I call you to live radically. You say, Pastor, this is not your normal Christmas service. It's not because these are not normal times. Church, this is not the time to be lukewarm. This is not the time to be on the fence. This is not the time to know the condition of your spirituality. This is not the time. This is not the time to equate your Christianity with the nation that you live in. This is the time to rise 
rise up and hear the call of Josiah. See, it was an eight-year-old that spoke the call, but it was the entire nation that rallied and said, we're going back. We're going back to the house. We're going back to the word. We're done playing games. We're going back to holiness. We will lay it all down and we will live radically before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I call you church, if that was in the day of Josiah, how much more do we need to live that way in the day of Jesus? Because Josiah was a king, but he is the king. Josiah was one of many kings, but he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the one that is calling you. He is the one that is drawing you back to revival, that this will not be Christmas as normal, but that we will come back to Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed. In this moment, would you take a moment to examine your heart? Would you just begin, if there's anything in there that shouldn't be there, if there's anything that is keeping you from putting the house of God first, the word of God first, the holiness of God first, would you just come back to a loving and gracious Savior right now? Would you just ask him to forgive you? Search our hearts, oh God. Search our hearts, oh God. If there's somebody within the sound of my voice, either in the house or online today, that you would say, Pastor, I'm away from God. I I I used to follow Jesus, but I have not made him first in my life. Or, Pastor, I've never made the decision to follow Jesus. As everybody repeats this prayer out loud, if that's you, would you repeat this and mean this in your heart? Come on, let's pray together, church. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, Jesus for putting other things in my life above you. Forgive me, Jesus, for my idols. I lay them down at the cross, and I receive you into my heart. Help me, Jesus, to live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose now with everybody standing father in the name of jesus we declare we declare a spirit of josiah god we declare that the house of god would rise up in these days that the word of god would rise up in these days that the voice of god that the holiness of god would rise up in these days god lead us god may this be a christmas of revival may this be a christmas of revival Come awake in this city Oh God of revival Pour it out, pour it out Every stronghold will crumble I hear the chains hit the ground, yes Oh God of revival Pour it out Come on, let's declare it again and say Come awake in your people Come awake in this city 